as you contemplate the future. I just trust and pray that the Lord will be gracious, uh, that uh, this great church will know uh, uh, better days in the future than you've ever had before. That's our longing for the church in Brimau, that the best days are in front of us. And that's my prayer for you, as it is for all evangelical churches in the principality and further afield, that around this wide world, we may know again an ingathering of precious souls before it's too late. Because my text tonight is found in Luke 21, which is the passage that I read, and specifically verse 28, Luke 21, 28. Now, when these things begin to happen, look up, lift up your heads, because your redemption draws near. Um, You don't need a preacher from the valley to make the journey to Cardiff to tell you that we're living in strategic days. These are evidently days that are troubling many people. We find that our Savior could say that there would be a distress of nations. And so it is that around this wide world, there are many people who are troubled, perplexed, bewildered. There are many people tonight who are at wit's end corner because of what's occurring. The COVID outbreak, global warming, famines, pestilences, so many things that we could reiterate that our blessed Saviour made known as he ministered to various congregations in his day. Um, We are aware that what is happening has been written down and will be and is being fulfilled before our very eyes. Um, That great and awesome day of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ a second time I believe, is at hand. Um, I don't want to cross swords tonight with anyone who may have a different millennial view to mine. But all I'm saying is that the Bible teaches clearly he who is to come is coming. And there is a necessity, therefore, for us to be ready. He makes this statement himself. You be sure that you are ready. Because it's going to be a day like no other. A day when the heavens will be rent. There will be the sound of a trumpet. The voice of an archangel. And then that glorious, marvelous revelation of a saviour who is alive and is coming for his people. The day of our redemption. The day when everything that the gospel has promised us will ultimately be fulfilled. We thank him for that which we already know. I trust that there are those tonight who ever bless him for the day that you were saved. 
for that time in your life. It may not be a specific hour or or a specific day, but you've known that experience that we spoke of this morning, whereby you were able to say, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. I was a sinner, condemned, unclean. But because that sinless Savior died, I have been saved. And you are still being saved because the process of sanctification is still going on. He is pleased day by day to walk with you, to minister to you, to encourage you, to strengthen you. But the best is yet to come. That hallowed, amazing experience that when we see him, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Now, this evening, by God's grace, I want us to realize that on the one hand, there are still people who are terrified tonight. I constantly meet people who are literally petrified about what's going on. They're afraid to take a a COVID test in case it proves positive. And they fear that that may lead them into an illness that ultimately may lead them to their death. But on the other hand, I trust that there are those of us tonight who are thrilled to live at this time. These are exciting times for Christians. Times of expectation. Times of anticipation. That our blessed Lord Jesus Christ will fulfill Hebrews chapter 10 yet a little while. And he that shall come will come and will not tarry There is an expectation. There is, I trust, in your heart, a measure of excitement. Even to the point of ecstasy. That you're going to see the one whom your soul loves. Face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be? When in rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ who died for me. So that daily, as you are awakened to a new day, maybe there are those of us who wonder, is this the day of our redemption? Is this the day of the culmination of our hope? and our joy, and our trust in the Savior. You see, there are those of us tonight who genuinely can say we've been ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. 
And we look for the completion of the redemption. We look, we are waiting for an event that will transcend every other event in our experience when we shall know that fulfillment of the ultimate purpose of our gracious God. And tonight, lest there be those who are not sure whether you're amongst the redeemed, let me again afford you that awareness that you will have known the Spirit of God convicting you of your sin. I have a daughter who constantly points out to to myself that when I'm pointing one finger out, I'm pointing three fingers back at myself. And it may be tonight, my dear friend, that it's time that you pointed three fingers back at yourself. And answer the question, do I know what it is to have been convicted of my sin? You see, it's easy to see sins in others. It's easy to point a finger and to to know that, well, they've done this or they said that or they thought the other. But let's stop a moment. Let's ask the question, when was it last that you paused and you realized that God has searched your heart? Search me, O God. Know my heart. You are the one who is acquainted with all my ways. With my secret sins. With those sins that so easily beset me. Those sins that nobody else knows about. Have you known the Spirit of God awaken you? Maybe disturb you? maybe alarm you, that in the presence of a holy, righteous God, who is out of purer eyes and to behold iniquity, that you are guilty. And in his mercy, having convinced you and convicted you of your sin, then you know, I am a sinner. And I need to be saved. And you know that blessing of which we have just sung. That your life has been changed. And it's a wonderful change. Jesus came into my heart. Can I ask you tonight, and there may be those of you, and you claim to be Christians, and you've been Christians for n number of years. Have you lost the joy of knowing that you're able to say tonight, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Set on that cross, that pain, that agony, that suffering beyond human comprehension in my place. Condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood.
And that blood was the price that was needed to redeem your soul. That the whole of your life is indeed entrusted to the one who is the shepherd, the one who succors you, the one who supports you, the one who is there at every moment of your need. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? That's the question that you have to answer whether you're here in the congregation or perhaps watching on Zoom tonight, that you know that you are one of the Lord's redeemed people. But in order to understand, first of all, the necessity for redemption, I have to take you back to what is known as the fall. Now, I know that in the day in which we live, uh, everyone's being taught that, you know, we've evolved and it all started with a big bang and all the rest of it. I'm not going to indulge myself in that tonight. I want to lead you to the truth. And it's in the scripture, in that part of Scripture that many have dispensed with, because Genesis is irrelevant. But you see, you can't understand the gospel until you begin in Genesis. And you realize that the great God who created the universe, the sun, the moon, and Scripture says, and he put the stars also in their places, that great God with whom nothing is impossible said, let us make man in our own image. And so it is that in Genesis chapter 2, we're told, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils a breath of life, and man became a living soul. He became a human being. And so it is that that first man was formed differently to every other part of God's creation. Because here is a human being who has been given a body, but also a soul. And my late principal in Bible college used to talk about a body-soul, united in the presence of God. And what he did for the man, he went on to do for the woman. And literally everything in the garden was lovely. Because at the end of Genesis chapter 1, we read, it was very good. Not a blemish, not a spot, nothing out of place. But then, in the letter to the Romans in chapter 5, the apostle puts it clearly. Sin entered the world. And death by sin. Disaster. Tragedy beyond description. 
Because then God, having formed man of the dust of the ground, turns and says to him, Dust thou art, and to dust thou shalt return. So that that body begins to decay from that moment on. And so he said, he had sent out a warning. It made it very clear. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you shall eat thereof, you shall surely die. Spiritually, he dies then. But then Genesis chapter 5 tells us that at the age of 930, Adam dies. And what happens then is recorded clearly in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, which says, Then the dust shall return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. A divorce takes place. The body-soul is separated. The dust returns to the ground. The Spirit returns to God. And so at that point begins that moment when the body is looking for redemption. And that's continuing now. Because again, you see, in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul can say, For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now, and not only they, but we ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to it, the redemption of our body. Even as a believer tonight, you have that blessed assurance that if you were to die tonight, your soul would enter into heaven so that you being absent from your body would be present with your Lord. But you've got to leave your body behind. And so God's ultimate purpose in redemption is incomplete. But oh, how good is the God we adore. How gracious, how kind that he condescends to send his son. And we're told the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. He takes on the form of a man. And he suffers the pain, the anguish, the torment that your body should suffer. Because let me tell you this, my dear friends, hell is not just for the souls of the unconverted, it's for their body as well. And it will be indescribable that the torments, the suffering, the pain, will go on and on and on for all eternity. No medication. No painkillers. No friends. 
Let me tell you tonight, you may be here, you may be watching. I spoke to a young man not so long ago who said to me, he said, I don't care going to hell, he said, because that's where my friends will be. Let me tell you, there are no friends in hell. The outer darkness can be likened to that which was known in Egypt. When they didn't get up from their beds because they couldn't see where they were going. And you could pass your hand in front of your face and not see it. And that's just a foretaste of outer darkness. And in the midst of that utter loneliness. To know that there's a fire burning that will not go out. Oh, my friend. Won't you look to Jesus tonight? How will you escape if you neglect so great a salvation? Because it's a great salvation. The future is glorious for a Christian. Because you see, something impossible is going to happen. I believe that our Lord Jesus Christ had an enjoyment going to Bethany particularly to the home of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And there will be those of you who know that in John chapter 11, our Savior goes there and there's been a bereavement. Lazarus has died. And the Lord Jesus gives assurance to both the sisters that he was the resurrection and the life. And he proves it. And I trust and pray that I won't offend anyone tonight, but I'd like to use some sanctified imagination of being amongst the crowd and going along to the tomb. And Lazarus has been dead now for a while. And the Lord Jesus commits himself to his father in prayer and says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And what happens? Well, according to John chapter 11, verse 43, when he had spoken, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And verse 44 says, he that was dead came forth. Can you imagine the wide-eyed wonder that there was amongst those who were around him? They'd possibly witnessed his death. They'd seen him buried. But now he's come forth out of the grave. Now, what causes me to wonder at something impossible that's happened to Lazarus is to know that earlier on in John's Gospel, in John chapter 5, the Lord Jesus says in verse 28, Marvel not at this, 
for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. And then in chapter 6 he said, And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up in the last day. What an amazing prospect. Some of you will know that I lost my very precious wife two and a half years ago. She's buried in Brimar Cemetery. What encourages me? She's going to come forth. And for every believer, that's our consolation. It may be, my dear friends, that you have to pass through the valley of the shadow of death. I don't know. Only he knows. But go forth into your death knowing that death has lost its thing. The grave has lost its victory. Something impossible is going to happen. The graves are going to give up the body of the dead. But then we are faced with immortality. Now, immortality is a life that is forever. This is your redemption. That which is impossible with man is still possible with God. But in order to encourage you further, then there is this awareness. And the apostle again says, the apostle Paul says to Timothy, Be not thou therefore ashamed of my testimony, nor of me his prisoner, but be partaker of the affliction of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and his grace, which is given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but now is made manifest by his appearance of our Savior, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light by the gospel. What does the Savior say himself? I am he that liveth. I was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. And that, of course, means that we are faced with an incorruptible state. Now, incorruption means that you cannot die. At the moment, you can die, I can die. The frailty of my body, often in past days, have made me wonder whether my time was come. But you see, the day of redemption is the day when you will be brought back to the state and condition that God ultimately intends you to be. And you will be given a body that cannot die. I am alive forevermore, says the apostle. 
That says the Lord Jesus. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, the apostle writes, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. I don't know whether you've got an inheritance coming to you. But let me tell you, there is an inheritance that is incorruptible. It's undefiled. Fades not away. Reserved in heaven for you. So that we are looking forward to that blessed day that is shown to John the Isle of Patmos a frail 96 year old suffering for the gospel's sake and what is he told oh he's told a day will come and there will be no more death nor sorrow nor crying Neither will there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And do you know what I love about uh, uh, Revelation 21? Is that John records, the one who sat on the throne said to me, write the words down, because they are true and they are faithful. Can I ask you, my dear friends, as you look at the days in which you live, have you begun to look up? Has your heart begun to be expectant that soon and very soon you're going to see the king the one who had an amazing love for you, gave himself for you, is coming back for you. And all the liberty and the freedom that is promised by the gospel will be yours for all eternity. To go out into an endless day when I will no longer fear anything. Sin will be gone completely. The consequences of sin will be removed once and for all. And forever you'll be with the Lord. Amen. So let it be. We're going to sing from Christian hymns and it's the hymn 809 forever with the Lord amen so let it be life from the dead is in that word tis immortality here in the body pent absent from him I roam yet nightly pitch my moving tent a day's march nearer home it's 809 
now may grace, peace, mercy from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest and abide in and upon each this night and until the Saviour comes for us or he calls. And then it will be forevermore. Amen.